Let's pray before we read God's Word. Father, we rejoice that we can gather together with Your people this morning. And Lord, as we open up Your Word by the help of the Spirit, may it be made plain to us. May we repent of our sin and behold our King. And Lord, use this time this morning to continue to shape and fashion us for Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 42, starting in verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's a, he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. Throughout church history, the book of Isaiah has been nicknamed the fifth gospel because it so clearly points to the work of the Messiah. In Isaiah, there are a few chapters that have been titled the servant songs. There are four servant songs or or four chapters. And these chapters mention this servant of the Lord that will be exalted. He will carry out justice and he will suffer for his people. The four servant songs in Isaiah are chapters 42, 49, 50, and 52. Many believers throughout the history of the church have understood these passages are pointing to the God-man, Jesus Christ, and recognizing that these passages are fulfilled in him. As we will see in Isaiah chapter 42 today, and over the next few weeks as we cover the servant songs for Advent, these descriptions can only be of the Lord Jesus. These passages, rightly understood, should press us to the Lord, and what better passages than to prepare our hearts in this Christmas season than Scripture from the prophet Isaiah anticipating the coming servant king who will save his people. 
in this Christmas season, we rejoice that Jesus has taken on flesh and He has dwelt among us. Truly God became truly man. May everything that we do in this season remind us of Him. For many of us, we we talk about slowing down in this season, thinking and reflecting upon our God. May that be so as we get our coffees in the cool mornings, as we see lights flickering in our homes and as we drive, as we spend time with our families, as we celebrate marriages and friendships, as some are holding new babies, new, new kiddos. We also think about those who have been with us previous Christmases. And now they may not be at the table or gathered around in the living room. As we think about jobs changing, and we're asking the Lord about how this is going to work, or there may just be strife in certain relationships, to put it kindly. Christian, the Lord Jesus is with His people at all times. He is near. And as we do a variety of things that bring us joy in this season, may our thoughts be upon Him. And as we remember, mourn, and grieve over loss, uncertainty, hardships, we have a King who hears our prayers and holds us in His grip. And so during this season, let us say Merry Christmas with joy because of what Christ has done. Let us, let us ref- reflect and remember that our Lord who condescended took on, He took on flesh to ransom us. We will be doing so as we go through Isaiah over the next few weeks. As we dive into Isaiah 42, just a quick overview. In verses 1-4, through we see who this servant is and the descriptions of this servant. And then in verses 5-9, through we see the work of the servant. Verses 5-9 through addresses God's creation, what He has done, who He is, His majesty and glory that has been given to this servant. So two points for us this morning as we walk through Isaiah chapter 42. The first is the chosen servant. The chosen servant. As we look through verses 1 to 4. The chosen servant. And then point number 2 is the work of the servant. The work of the servant. And we'll look at verses 5 through 9. So the chosen servant, verses 1 through 4, and then the work of the servant, and verses 5 through 9. So our first point this morning, the chosen servant. Let's read verses 1 through 4 again. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged 
till he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. These verses here, verses 1 through 4, are cited in the New Testament. Verses 1 through 3 are cited in Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 to 20. And then verse 21 of Matthew chapter 12 cites the end of verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 42 in the LXX, which is the Greek translation uh, of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. So not all of verse 4 is quoted in Matthew chapter 12. But verse 1 begins by saying, Behold, behold, God is bringing to the reader's attention, Behold, stop and look at my servant. This beholding, stopping and looking is essential to the Christian. If you have not looked to the Lord and trusted in the work of the servant Jesus, as we will see this morning, then can you truly describe yourself as a Christian? Beholding Christ and clinging to Christ is the beginning of the faith. The Lord, through Isaiah, is calling readers to behold to stop and to look. It should get our attention. Continuing on, behold, my servant, my servant. The servant in view here is not Israel, but a person. The descriptions do do not match up for Israel. This is messianic. It is focused on the Messiah to come. It is also not Cyrus, from Isaiah 45 because of the, of the descriptions that follow as well. The Lord says, Behold, my servant, and then follows with a few descriptive phrases, whom I uphold. This servant is the Lord's. He's not an idol. He's not chasing after idols like those in Israel. He is chosen. This servant is not going to fail. He is going to accomplish the task set before him. Luke chapter 9 verse 35 says that a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The next phrase in Isaiah 42, In whom my soul delights. This servant is the one who delights who brings delight to a holy and righteous God. This is another descriptive phrase that can only be about Jesus. Who pleases God completely and fully? God does. God, the servant, Son, the Lord Jesus. And then the last phrase, put my spirit upon Him. What are these phrases reflecting that the Father and the Spirit approve of this servant, the servant Son. They are not opposed to Him. They point to His work. The Father delights and loves the servant. The Spirit delights and loves the Son. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit delight in one another. So beloved, what a glorious, holy, triune God that we have and that we've been shown to us in verse 1. 
And this morning, let us glory and behold our triune God. The servant Son loves the Father and the Spirit and lives and lives in keeping with the standard of holiness. The Son is the Word of God incarnate, taking on flesh. And the Father and the Spirit look upon the Son in approval. These phrases from Isaiah chapter 42 are also reflected in the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. I just want you to know, too, there are terrible commentators out there saying that this could be descriptive of Israel or Cyrus. And these are weak sauce commentators that do not benefit Christ's church. Looking at Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Scripture says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately He went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So this chosen servant Son is loved by the Father and the Spirit. Continuing on in Isaiah 42, the next description is that the servant is bringing forth justice to the nations. This is the first of three points of emphasis regarding justice in this passage. And the word justice appears three times in the first four verses. What is this justice? What is this justice? It's God's justice to the ends of the earth. When God's justice is carried out, true peace will occur. And the Lord Jesus carries this out. It is His world, and He is the judge. We see the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. His kingdom come, and His will be done. His justice is is spread to the nations. His justice is spread to the nations. We'll comment more in a moment about the Lord's justice. Beginning verses 2 and 3 in Isaiah 42, Scripture says, He will not cry aloud or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed He will not break, and a faintly burning wick He will not quench. The servant supports and He strengthens. A bruised reed, a bruised reed that will not break is reflecting upon the gentleness, but also the firmness of this servant. The servant is not going to be separated from his work. He's going to accomplish what he has set out to accomplish. He's going to keep it by his power. His loud voice does not accomplish the work. He could raise his voice, yet he does not. We see this in how Jesus engages those in the Gospels, right? The Pharisees are trying to back him into a corner. And what does Jesus do? He puts them in a corner. And so there's none more consistent than this servant son, than our Lord Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And with his speech and care, Jesus is gentle and firm. He loves his sheep and will protect his sheep like a father bending down to hear the requests of their child. Jesus tends to his his sheep in that gentle, firm manner. A bruised reed he will not break. Christian, there are no better hands to have you in his grip than the hands of Jesus. The same hands that were spread upon the cross welcome his people to come to him. Come to his table. Come and feast. Rejoice in his work. Eat, drink, and be merry. For Jesus the servant tends to his sheep. Isaiah 42 continues in verse 3, and we see that justice is mentioned for a second time. And justice is being carried out in faithfulness. The Lord carries out His justice in a faithful manner. This means that He does not neglect or pass over. He executes justice. So what He says, He does. This servant is on mission. The Hebrew word for justice here is mizpat. This word does not mean that all things will be made right socially or economically. But this Hebrew word for justice here is referring to right all the wrongs done against God's law and His holiness. So this servant is going to live a holy life. And what Isaiah does in Isaiah chapter 42 is pointing out Israel's failure, but pointing also to the servant who is not going to fail. He is not going to fail. He's going to be faithful in this. And so what Isaiah 42 is continuing to reveal to us is the faithfulness of our God revealed in Jesus Christ. Question number 30 in the Baptist Catechism. Wherein did Christ's humiliation cost? Christ's humiliation consisted in His being born and that in a low condition made under the law undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. The faithfulness of our Lord carries out where we have sinned and wronged our holy triune God. He has paid it. He has paid our penalty. He is the one who saves He took on the curse of our sin and became a curse for us. His righteousness is imputed to those who believe. So that we are not unrighteous, but we are declared righteous. Jesus is God's chosen servant. You will either confess Him or you will deny Him. There is no middle ground with the Lord Jesus, because there is none like Him. There is none like this servant. In verse 4 of Isaiah 42, Scripture says, 
he will not grow faint or discouraged. You cannot wear him out. He will continue on in his mission. Our Lord does not tire. And the last time justice is mentioned here is in verse 4 with a phrase, He has established justice in the earth. This is not just for Israel or for one nation, but this is for the whole earth. The Lord's justice will be revealed and established. And in Jesus, God's justice is revealed. We know the law of God demands perfection. And in Jesus, God's law is satisfied. It is satisfied. In Jesus, the righteousness of God is applied to those who believe because He, the chosen servant, has lived fully and faithfully to the demands of the law and He has died in our place. And so Jesus has established justice upon the earth and He will bring forth justice. Leads us to our last Our second point this morning, the last point, is the work of the servant. The work of the servant. And we're going to read again verses 5 through 9. The work of the servant, verses 5 through 9. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I I tell you of them. In verse 5, we see that the Lord created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator of the entire universe. He has laid the earth upon the waters like a blanket as a parent tucks their child into bed at night. He has done so with the earth upon the waters. God creating, God creating should bring comfort to His people. God has knitted you in your mother's womb. He has fashioned you for His glory and He has saved you by the blood of His Son. And He has spread His creation like a tent in the forest. And His creation shouts His glory. The book of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, God has spoke to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, in the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. 
Again, there is none like our God. In verse 6, Scripture begins by saying, I am the Lord. And this phrase is used in verse 6 and verse 8. The Lord separates Himself from the idols of Isaiah's day and our day because our Lord creates and He has not been created. He creates. The Lord responds to Job in Job chapter 38 verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And so the Lord creates and He sustains. And He is a personal God. He has made Himself known. Look at the phrases uh, that is used in verse 6. I have called you. I have called you. I will take you and keep you. I will give you. Our God does not leave us to our own devices, but He cares for us. He cares for us. So much so that He gives a light. He gives a light for the nations. Who is this light? Who is this light? Israel is to be a light and an example for, and an example for the nations. But this is not Israel. This is not Israel here in Isaiah 42 verse 6. Simeon in Luke chapter 2 verse 32 describes Jesus as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And Jesus in John chapter 8 verse 12 describes Himself as a light of the world. And so the Lord gives a light for the nations, which is the servant Son, the Lord Jesus. And as verse 7 continues in Isaiah 42, this light opens the eyes of the blind. So the Lord gives this light to the nations, and, and this light, so magnificent, so glorious, opens the eyes of the blind. And what does Jesus do in John chapter 9? He opens the eyes of a blind man from birth. Scripture says in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who has sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, He spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So He went and washed and came back seeing. The light of the world. The light of the world causes blind, causes the blind to see. And not only does the servant open the eyes of the blind, but he brings them out of the dungeon. The dungeon or the prison here in Isaiah 42 should be rightly understood as a bondage of slavery to sin. These two descriptive words here, open and bring out, show that the prophet Isaiah is pointing to the servant to deliver. 
And Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So, through the servant Son, the eyes of the blind are opened. And He doesn't just open them physically, He opens them to behold Him as Savior. And He redeems those who are in the depths of the dungeon and brings them out to behold His marvelous light. Over the last few weeks, I've been burdened and overwhelmed about the stories of what sin has done in the lives of people that I know. But I'm reminded that there is not one sinner who is too far from the grace of God. If God has shown me grace and mercy through Jesus Christ, He can show grace and mercy to anyone. My prayer has been, Lord, open up their eyes like You have opened up my eyes. May they see their sin and may they recognize the only way for them to be redeemed from the dungeon or the prison is to come to the light. To look to Christ. Because He redeems. He redeems by the work, by His work upon the cross. And so it's been my prayer this Christmas season. I hope it's your prayer as, as well during this Christmas season that sinners leave the shackles of slavery in the dungeon that they arise and that they follow the Lord Jesus in faith. There, there is no better news. There would be no better news this Christmas season to hear of those who have been chasing and chasing after their sin to then the Lord opening up their eyes to behold Him and, and coming to Him in faith. Let's pray. Let's pray to that end. Continuing on in this portion of Scripture, we see in verse 8, the Lord of hosts is His name. The Lord of hosts is His name. He gets the glory. He gets the glory. Not idols. Idols do not get the glory. And throughout Isaiah, the prophet rebukes the people of Israel in their pursuit of idols. We also see the silliness of these idols. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 18 to 20 says, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with Him? An idol? A craftsman? Cast it, and a goldsman a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for its silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Isaiah even makes note of an idol's inability to respond and the people of Israel's lack of trust in the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 28, which says, but when I look, there is no one among these. There is no counselor 
who, when I ask, gives an answer. So think about the idols in ability. And these created idols are just worship of self. What foolish things we create with our hands to try to fill this void in which only our Lord can fill. Christian, behold the King this Christmas. Behold the King this Christmas. The Lord is His name. Isaiah chapter 42 began in verse 1 by saying, Behold, verse 9 ends this section with the, with the same. Behold Him. Look, look at what He is doing. These former things have come to pass. Now these new things spring forth because of the work of the servant. Because of the work the servant Jesus. His kingdom and His rule has no end. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 records, An angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This great news. This great news. The King has arrived. Rejoice! Put your hope in Him. Put your trust in Him. Do not chase after idols. Behold the King of all creation who loves you and cares for you and has pursued you by the way of the cross. He has shed His blood for His glory and for your redemption. So what was mere shadows in the Old Testament are now the substance revealed in the Lord Jesus. Behold Him. Behold Him with great joy. There is none like Him. In Isaiah 42, we see this chosen servant. And we see the work of this servant. The Father and the Spirit look upon Him and approve and point to the servant's work. The servant Jesus loves the Father and the Spirit. And the servant is as gentle and firm. A bruised reed. A bruised reed. He does not break. And He does not grow weary or faint. He is a light for the nations. He opens up the eyes of the blind and brings captives out of the depths of the dungeon. And His praise is not to be given to carved idols, but to Him and Him alone. The former things have gone away. The new things, the new covenant has been brought about because of His work. Beloved, we only get one life and it will soon pass. Only what is done for our servant King, the Lord Jesus Christ, will last. Merry Christmas. Let's pray.